Hello, everybody. My name is Dan Lett. Uh, I'm a columnist of the Winnipeg Free Press. This is the inaugural episode of Not for Attribution, uh, the Winnipeg Free Press's new podcast on politics, government, and public policy. And uh, I'm joined today uh, by uh, some of our esteemed uh, political writers and thinkers. Uh, Perspectives editor Brad Oswald. I'm giddy with excitement, Dan. Giddy uh, was certainly part of the job description. That's good. And uh, my fellow columnist, uh, Tom Broadbeck, it happened again. <laughs> so happy to be here. It's been peaceful so far, but uh, we can't rule out a possible cage match in the future. No, definitely. Uh, those of you who are turning in to see, you know, two columnists, two different political worldviews, one knife, it's, that's for a future episode. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, like he's, he's been on staff for three weeks and other, uh, other than the fact that I continue to giggle every time I try to say his last name, it's been great. It's been swell. Uh, and, uh, we're also joined today by producer and panelist, Jessica Patello Urbanski. Uh, and, uh, she'll be, uh, she'll be contributing along with watching the levels. Yes. Thanks for having me. So uh, our first episode, uh, a little bit later in the episode, actually, we're going to have a feature interview with federal Green Party leader Elizabeth May, who was in Winnipeg this week. Uh, but before we get to that, we are definitely going to talk about the, uh, the provincial election. Um, so uh, the main narrative going into the election was that this was the election that he didn't have to call. Premier Brian Pallister had another year before he needed to call an election but he called one anyways. And I think the tenor of the editorials and the columns were very critical of him for going early, ignoring the fixed date election law. And I'm wondering, does that have more to do with the fact that this is that calling an early election was really a political issue? Or is this about, you know, cramping the style of journalists who are got one eye on the cottage deck? Uh, and and there's so it's more of a personal reaction that they don't want the election. Uh, you know, do we let some of that personal sentiment creep into our, our writing, do you think, Brad? I think we try not to, but uh, journalists and editorial writers are people too. And the thought of an election campaign in the summertime, in any summertime, never mind a summertime leading up to a fall in which there will be a federal election campaign, was um, off-putting. So, Tom, uh, it, you, uh, I'd like to get your response, too. But also, we work in, you know who else doesn't like summer election campaigns? MLAs. Yeah, they, they, they can't stand it, uh, for sure. Uh, me, personally, it was a blessing because I started a new job, and I don't get any vacation time for a year anyway. So <laughs> I got something to do. This is Otherwise, I'd have nothing to do in the middle of so August. So it's really your fault. Political. It's yeah, but, my fault, yeah. mostly. But uh, I thank the Premier, uh, even though I was critical of him. And MLAs, though, like the, the summer months uh, are, you know, it's a time when they recharge. But more importantly, it's the time that they go back and they have quality time in their constituencies, which is the key to getting reelected. When, you know, uh, when you don't, when you're doing, like, go straight into a summer election campaign, you do miss a lot of that, that spade work. Oh, for sure. And, and, and people aren't that happy with the summer election. And trying to A, for MLAs and candidates to get their attention, get the attention of voters, is really, really tough right now. But B, uh, it's annoying. You know, I mean, who wants candidates knocking on their doors in the summer and bothering them, you know, uh, out at the lake and wherever they're, ca- wherever they're campaigning? The, the, the math on it was always interesting to me because the premier started hinting about going early 
quite some time ago, and, and I think all of us kind of started looking at calendars and going, okay, well, let's see if he was going to go early. He can't do it in the springtime because he can't do it in case there's a flood, and he certainly wouldn't do it in the summertime, and then he can't do it in the fall because there's a federal election, and then all of a sudden you're into the next year, and then why would you go early if it's only six months early? So the fact that he landed on this time for what I think we would all agree, at least outwardly, was a pretty sketchy rationale, you know, the Manitoba 150, we don't want to wreck the party thing. Uh, yeah, I think it, 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 not just us in the, in the ink-stained ink wretch business, but everybody finds the thought of a summer election on the on-ramp to a fall federal election, it's kind of, did I use off-putting before? Okay, <laughs> then I'll say annoying this time. Well, we've heard a few different rationales for why he's calling the election right now, too, uh, besides the Manitoba 150 uh, rationale, which I think we're going to get into later. But we're also hearing already from some voters who are confused about which election candidates are coming to their doors for, be it provincial or federal, and talking to the candidates about issues that may be provincial, like health care, um, talking to people coming to win their votes uh, for Parliament Hill, and there's some confusion there as well. I went to a Dugald-Lamont uh, election event at a park in St. Boniface, beautiful, like right along the river. And uh, you know, so he did his event, and I came back and found out the park is right in front of Dan Vandell's house, who's the, the federal liberal uh, MP. And I, you know, he, he didn't really say it, but I kind of, you know, hey, like, you know, did you think about walking across the street and, you know, waving the... And I think there is, like, there is a lot of, there's a lot of concern about the fact that there's all these people out knocking on doors, dropping off pamphlets, and... Uh, not sure they know exactly who's who. And, and Jessica alluded to this. So uh, there was the Manitoba 150. We, we don't want to run a campaign during the, uh, the 150 uh, uh, celebrations for the province. No, but I don't think anybody bought that. The other explanation, though, that he used when he kicked it off is, yeah, we've mostly done or started to do everything from our first mandate. Uh, we need a new mandate on new ideas uh, going forward. So my question to the panelists is, has the Premier showed us at this early stage of the campaign that there are enough new ideas to justify a new election or a, an election and a new mandate at this point? We haven't heard anything new so far, and I don't think we'll hear uh, much in the way of new. I mean, it's a continuation of what they've started. They're just getting started on some of the stuff. They they want to balance the books. They've they cut the PST. Um, you know, they're reforming health care. There's a K to 12 education reform going on, um, and we're hearing more about that. I mean, spending two billion dollars on health care over the next four years. That's that's not a new thing. That you know, that's uh, that's really just a plan to spend a little bit more money than they have been in the last three and a half years. So, no, we, we haven't really seen anything new. I was covering a Tory announcement this morning, and uh, it was the jobs plan revelation. And one of their points in their press release there was a, a component about freeing the beer. So that might be new. We might be seeing some new liquor legislation coming up. You know, it, if there are new things they're probably going to be small new things because the overarching narrative of the Palliser government has been the the big health care rebuild and and you know sort of enduring all of the the negative reaction that that kind of tough love agenda requires but in terms of like the we need to have a new mandate so we can sort of do something new I, I kind of feel like that's sort of a Trojan horse and my feeling all along has been that one of the major 
impetuses, if that's the correct uh, plural, for doing this was not so much that the progressive conservatives were sort of ready to move on on to new big things, but by going early, they were going to catch the two other parties unprepared because the NDP were breaking in a new leader, the uh, liberals were also breaking in a new leader and sort of just casting about for a pathway to relevance. And so, you know, by going when they do, it, it, it takes away from the other parties one more year of getting their stuff together. Well, yeah, and I, I, you know, even though the election was early, I don't believe anybody, it would be fair to say that it was a surprise. Uh, as we said, like he was talking for months about an early election call and then actually signaled, you know, two months before the campaign was supposed to start, let everybody know what the election date was going to be. Um, and yet, uh, you know, I'm left wondering after the first week, just sort of reading the tea leaves from the announcements and whatnot, whether the, the opposition parties really are prepared for this election, even though they probably could have used another year. I'm not sure it's fair to say that they, that they, they can go into this campaign and appear to not be ready. And, and there's been several times where I've wondered if they're not ready. They look pretty prepared to me, considering. I mean, um, the the biggest drawback is trying to get candidates uh, to run for them, and the Liberals are behind in that regard. And that's hard work. Uh, and I don't think Dougal Lamont's been out pounding pavement trying to get people, good people, credible people in different communities around the province to run for them. But policy-wise, they've come out. I mean, they, they've been running a campaign, it seems like, for like a month. Yeah. And, if you, and if you don't know Dugal Lamont, you know he has no delayed gratification, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, between him and John Gerard, who's a policy wonk, you know, they, they've come out with quite a bit, quite a bit, and, and so, is, so have uh, of the NDP. I mean, they're, they're, they've come out with uh, quite a bit of well-thought-out uh, policies, and they have some people in their camp that they've brought back, uh, like, like Bob Dewar and, uh, and, um, and others. Uh, <laughs> uh, others who we don't know, we're not entirely sure yet whether the yeah. others have agreed to allow us to name them yet. But yes, anyway, yeah, 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 and they got Liam Martin, and and but yeah, they 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 seem organized. Surprisingly, actually, because it's not easy to put all this together. Well, and the NDP were arguably arguably a little bit more organized than, than the Tories in terms of getting their full slate of candidates out there first. Um, they finished their slate last weekend, nominating Wab Canute last, uh, as is tradition. And then the Tories came in with 57 candidates, I believe it was yesterday, Thursday, August 15th. So they had previously promised to have their full slate ready before a writ drop and then didn't end up doing that. So that was interesting. If, from a communications perspective, uh, once it was dropped, uh, both of the opposition parties had, you know, at least some policy ideas that they were ready to present in a fairly organized fashion, whether or not they can sort of flesh them out with realistic detail and costs remains to be seen. But uh, I think that, you know, the the broad hinting that went on for, I don't know, since the victory party after the last election, it seems like uh, that from Mr. Palster that he was going to go early has allowed at least the the organizational bones to be put in place for, for the opposition parties. But, you know, I think that that much will will be revealed as this thing goes down the stretch. So uh, at this point, I think um, we'd probably like to transition into our feature interview with uh, Elizabeth May. I just want to correct myself here. They've nominated their full slate of candidates on Wednesday, August 14th. And, and because we want this to be real, we are not going to edit out Jessica's previous statement. The correction will be left in, of course, and uh, yeah, we're on, 
we're on the record now as having the right number of candidates. The, um, so uh, Elizabeth May was sort of interesting. She had come to town to uh, obviously promote uh, her federal party, but also to lend a hand to the Manitoba uh, party, which uh, um, you know finds itself, uh, in, at least in the poll results in Winnipeg, in, in pretty rarefied uh, air. Um, and so, so people are looking at the Greens, and so our, you know, our conversation uh, took place. She was at the Delta Hotel today uh, for a news conference. Um, I treated it like a pretty big event. I even wore long pants, which, as people know me, that's impressive. Yeah, no, I know it's uh, the long pants get packed away in we June. We can't they, tell you what he's wearing right no, now. No, that's right. In, in the great tradition of broadcast journalism, we're not wearing pants at all. No, no, we're wearing short pants and some wearing long pants and. <laughs> no, sorry. Nobody's going to bail me out of that one. And uh, so, uh, but yeah, the, the it, it was an interesting because it's an interesting moment in time for the Greens, and and certainly they only have two house, uh, seats in the House of Commons right now, no seats in the Manitoba Legislature. But there is, uh, and I think you'll see in the interview, uh, there there is a method to their madness right now, uh, and uh, I think you know I think this is a story we're going to have to keep our eye on so we'll go now to interview with uh, federal green party leader elizabeth may i'm here in uh, at the delta hotel in downtown winnipeg with uh, green party of canada leader elizabeth may who's in town to uh, I guess you're double dipping on election campaigns right now. <laughs> and speaking to the Canadian Federation of University Women Conference, where, which was an invitation that had nothing to do with politics. And boy, did it land right in the middle of politics. You know, well, it, it just there must be just a small window of opportunity. Uh, I guess in another couple of weeks, you'll be pretty much... You yeah. know, all federal, head down all for the time. Them. Yeah, but that I'll probably be back in Winnipeg. So there you go. It's uh, it's it's nice to be back, and it's nice to see you again. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so uh, all eight years ago, last month, uh, I had the opportunity to come out to see uh, you campaign uh, on Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. uh, you were running against a conservative cabinet minister. That's right, Gary Lunn. And uh, hardly anybody at the outset gave you much of a chance. No one, really. No one. No. <laughs> Outside of the riding. It, within Saanich Gulf Islands, a lot of people thought that they could see how they wanted to vote green, and their neighbors did, so this would be a possibility. I, I faced a lot of, well, the scorn wouldn't be too harsh a word for the idea that anyone from the Green Party could win an election where the incumbent was a member of Harper's cabinet. Well, so reporters are notorious, uh, and I'll, I'll include myself in that, for looking for every misstep or awkward moment or whatever. And I, I first picked up on your campaign at an event that was supposed to take place at a hospital. Mm -hmm. And when you got there, yeah, they we, didn't want you on the property. Uh, nothing personal. No. Uh, and so it was, if I remember correctly, it was like a really long walk back it's to the really highway. a really long walk back to, and and, and it's the Saanich Peninsula Hospital, and, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful, it's a, well, local institution. I've done a lot of, over the years, lots of fundraising with hospital events. And somebody on my team had gotten the okay from somebody at the <laughs> hospital. But then you showed up. Like yesterday, the same thing almost happened at the Wolseley Farmer's Market. The, the Radio Canada TV had set up. 
and everybody thought it was going to be fine and then apparently one of the vendors was afraid they might show up in the background and you always have to be flexible <laughs> that everything that's organized may unravel and that's life. <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons why journalists uh, maybe love these moments is because you get to see the leader under stress yeah and uh, i remember uh there wasn't a lot of room on the highway it you know it was like a two-lane <laughs> oh, yeah. highway yeah. and we did a fantastic interview <laughs> on standing, the gravel on the gravel standing on the side of the highway you know that that is some indication that you can operate under pressure with <laughs> the semis rolling by well the main thing is if you can get through an interview and, and no fatalities ensue <laughs> you're okay really i mean but it was all, all kidding aside you have to be flexible hmm. and you can't take yourself too seriously because because, I mean, and also some of the gotcha moments. I really regret that Bob Stanfield didn't catch the football. The 19th time yeah, they threw it to him, yeah. Because he was a fantastic human being and a wonderful, you know, caring, committed person in public life. Uh, he missed a football and it made a silly photo. Joe Clark's luggage got lost. I mean, who among us is above the ability of Air Canada to lose your luggage? But that hurt him. It becomes part of their their brand. Exactly, yeah. and it's so I'm I'm yeah I'm aware that that can and will happen to me over and over again. You just rise above. Well, <laughs> your event today went flawlessly, so we've got <laughs> we've got nothing to worry about there. Um, I think um, y you know there is this interesting parallel right now. The the Manitoba Green Party and the federal Green Party uh, are reaching uh, unheard of levels in public opinion polls. Um, however, uh, there, at least in this country, there's, there has been a tradition that even though that opens the door a little bit, yeah. it's so hard uh, in the current political economy to walk through that. So, yeah. uh, you know, very quickly, so g g tell me why this election is going to be different than other elections where people really were taking a long, hard look at the Green Party before the election? Well, there's two factors. One is that we're no longer viewed as a wasted vote. I mean, I'm, you know, not to be too harsh about it, but uh, when there are no Greens elected anywhere, people mm -hmm. can say, well, I believe in all their policies and all that, but, you know, this is reality and I want to make sure I have my voice heard before we decide who's going to be the next prime minister or the mm -hmm. next premier. That's changed because, as you said, in 2011, when I was elected in, in Saanich Gulf Islands, it was a surprise to most observers. Uh, but after that, then we had electoral wins elsewhere. Uh, British Columbia, of course, in the provincial level, then New Brunswick at the provincial level, then Prince Edward Island, then back to more wins in British Columbia and Ontario. And now, of course, official opposition in Prince Edward Island, and then capping it off, a by-election in May, where, where Paul Manley, Green Party candidate, won handily in what all the media said was going to be a safe NDP seat. So that's one factor. The other is that this is virtually the perfect storm of electoral politics for us in that there will be six federal parties returning MPs to Parliament. Maybe that Max Bernier returns just Max Bernier from both, but the People's Party being on the platform means, and, and being on the ballot, means that the vote on the conservative side of the ledger will be split to some extent. The NDP, for whatever reason, are experiencing tumbling support, and the Liberals and the Conservatives, or at least at the moment, and anything can change fast, uh, but at least seem to be neck and neck 
seeking a position in parliament that will be short of majority. A minority parliament is looking very likely. And I, I didn't mention the Bloc Quebecois because it's not very relevant here. But they're also not securing a lot of support in Quebec. So those votes are kind of up for grabs. Mm. It's an interesting, to put it mildly, it's an interesting set of conditions. Mm. And uh, I don't think it'll come again quite like this. But it does open up real possibilities for voters to think, okay, this time if I vote Green, I can elect the local Green MLA that I like or the local Green MP that I like, and they can do some good for the country. Now, the, one of the, the obvious problems in this country, and, that, and electoral financing contributes to this, is that uh, real alternative uh, parties, non-traditional parties, have trouble coming up with the money to compete the machinery right. of, of elections. And so it, you, you, the Green Party is enjoying uh, an unprecedented level of support, right. but still maybe one-tenth the amount of money per quarter that the Conservatives are raising. So how do you make best use uh, of that money mm -hmm. to do more than the traditional approach of one or two ridings? Yeah. Like how do you sp spread that and make a good uh, use yeah, of well, it? Well, obviously we have to rely on more than money. We are, you know, where we have won seats, there's been a tremendous amount of volunteer uh, labor, help, momentum, uh, and enthusiasm. So in my campaign in Sanders Gulf Islands in 2011, we just had, you know, we had, by the time the election happened, we had a thousand people working, volunteers. Uh, then we had, across the country, I've just been touring and we have more volunteers than we've ever had before too mm -hmm. so more money than we've had before is great but there are other parties i mean you don't really know but you hear rumors they're paying their canvassers where you have people motivated particularly young people i've had so many uh, people my age and older saying that you know i'm 65 now and uh, i talk to people and say oh dear there was a lovely young man at my door and i was so impressed and he was so well spoken so you know inspiring at all age groups people to get involved as volunteers is really a big part of why we think we can do well in this election so the other big challenge for the greens is of course given the name, uh, he uh, heavy emphasis on the green, on environmentalism, mm -hmm. and uh, which is such an important issue right now. Um, and we were just talking about this at our editorial board. The, the problem is that, you know, on the one hand, uh, the gross majority of Canadians, they believe climate change is real. They're deeply concerned about it. But they'd rather not pay anything more for gasoline. Right. Right. And that disconnect, you can see it in the major... Yeah. party policies, they, they do, they're not really very ambitious about it. Yeah. So how do you, and I, by this I mean the Green Party, because I'm not sure any other party is trying to do this, how do you breach that or bridge that disconnect? Yeah. Well, one thing is I'd have to say about our name, I've often thought I wish we had a different name uh, because it does tend to suggest there's one only one. We have six core green values. And as today's press conference, we spoke to issues of social justice. Uh, social justice is one of our core six green values, which applies globally. There's green parties in 80 countries around the world. The only thing that connects us between federal greens in Canada, provincial greens in Canada, and global greens are these six core green values. And they're not all, and there's one <laughs> about mm -hmm. making sure that we uh, treat this planet as a place where we'd like to stay. Um, bridging that disconnect is a couple of things. One is, I think increasingly, and the polls are bearing this out, Canadians are increasingly concerned slash worried to some terrified of what they see coming in terms of climate emergency. We're experiencing 
a global climate emergency, which is felt locally as climate emergencies. Right? So whether it's floods in New Brunswick or forest fires in BC, floods in Manitoba, we experience this as a threat to property, life, and limb locally. I think Canadians are yearning to have uh, a leader and a party say, look, this is serious, but we can solve it. We can do this together. And incremental, timid moves towards a bit of limitation on pollution on one hand and boosting pollution on the other hand and calling that balance doesn't fool anyone. We're, we're, we're uh, all in for serious climate action. We're saying it's all hands on deck, which means I want to put out a call not just to every provincial government and every indigenous government, but to volunteerism in Canada. I, I'm a Rotarian. I keep thinking the Rotary Clubs of this country can be involved, the Lions Clubs, the church groups, the students. This is a big job we have to do, and the only parallel to it is the transformational effect on our economy that happened in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. This is a unifying, mobilizing moment. So when, when the average citizen hears, well, the price of gas is going to go up, but so too are the subsidies to fossil fuels, you feel like, eh, wait, that doesn't make a lot of sense, and I mind it. I mean, that's where the Yellow Vest movement came from in France. I have friends in the French Green Party who are very sympathetic to the Yellow Vest movement because it's not an anti-climate movement. It's just a bunch of normal people saying, wait a minute, why is Macron giving tax cuts to his billionaire friends and asking us who can barely keep our head above water to pay more for gas to get to work? So I think consistency and ambition and a really meaningful plan to get to where we need to be instead of you know this kind of incremental tweaking that gets nowhere i think that brings people together um and uh i mean i'm getting a little ahead of myself now but a minority parliament with half a dozen green party mps holding the balance of power um i, I suppose that would make things interesting too interesting and better i and i think we need to educate ourselves a bit as a country about our westminster parliamentary democracy uh it's uh, totally legit and part of our system that if there's a short of majority parties should work together uh, the last time that we had a really great minority parliament was lester b pearson and I referenced it earlier today because it's what brought in our health care system. That one, I mean, it's an extraordinary thing when you think about it, you know, how, how little really happens in a parliament from session to session. I mean, yes, we had some big things happen uh, since the last election, medical assistance in dying, legalizing cannabis. But, I mean, really big, bold ideas on the, on the nothing the equivalent of Lester B. Pearson's minority parliament bringing in our health care system, Canada pension plan, unemployment insurance. I could go on. And it was because I think Lester B. Pearson had all the right instincts, and he was a brilliant and compassionate and wonderful prime minister. But he got to do these things because he was in a minority, and to hold the and to be able to get through confidence votes, he needed those 17 NDP votes with David Lewis and Tommy Douglas, and there was no formalized coalition. But boy, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those days in Parliament, and of course the leadership of the opposition and John Diefenbaker. It was it was a land of giants in those days. But that's what we need. We need bold leadership. And in a minority parliament, ironically, I think it's more possible than when one party has all the power. Well, it's certainly shaping up to be an election unlike 
one that we've had in a very long time. Yeah. So, and, and you mentioned to me just before we went back on that that hospital in Saanich, they they have actually welcomed you back. Oh, now yes, you're an MP. I go there all the time now. So they, that, that's progress. <laughs> yes. You know, almost anything can be done. So, Elizabeth May, thank you so much for uh, spending a couple of minutes with us, and best of luck in the campaign to come. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to okay. see you again. Bye. Bye. So uh, there you have it, a uh, brief chat with uh, Elizabeth May on uh, all kinds of things, including getting thrown off the property of a, a, a North Sandwich hospital, uh, but also um, some fairly thoughtful thinking out loud about how the Greens translate. Um, it, I don't know, Tom, do you, do you think, did you get from her the idea that they're, they're actually going to run a full national campaign or they're still going to pick and choose their seats? I would think they'll still pick and choose some seeds, but I mean, th this is a new time for them. I mean, the, the green brand is has has been nurtured for years, and it's really grown to the point where they, you know, I, I agree with her. It's not just a, a wasted vote, uh, as may as many may have seen it in, in years past. That's not the case, I don't think, in Manitoba for the Greens, simply because they're non-existent in uh, between writ periods, which is uh, a real downfall for on their part. But uh, nationally, I, th I think. Uh, um, I think they'll target seats. They're, they they would be smart to uh, strategically, but uh, no, I I, I think uh, a lot of people are going to see it as uh, as a viable option. Brad, yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, I think we uh, in our discussions at the editorial board, like we're kind of like voters, we're kind of waiting for something else to talk about. I, I mean, I think everybody would agree that, especially in Manitoba, where we toggle between the NDP and the and the Progressive Conservatives. That it, it's like it's time for someone else to get involved. Do you think this is the election? I don't know if this is the election because there seems to have been a continued reluctance on the part of the major parties to engage on uh, environment and climate change as like a top of agenda issue. But certainly public attitude toward climate change and environmental issues is shifting. And, you know, as the Greenland ice fields melt, I think that the Greens will be able to speak more loudly and be heard more broadly. Um, well, thanks, uh, folks. Uh, Brad Oswald, the Perspectives Editor, uh, Tom Broadbeck, no giggle this time. Uh, my fellow columnists, Jessica Patello Urbanski from the Manitoba or part of our staff the, at the Manitoba Legislature. Um, this has been the first ever episode of Not for Attribution. We come back in a week's time uh, when we will have a feature interview with former NDP Premier Gary Dewar and the man he squared off against in the 2003 election campaign, former Progressive Conservative leader Stuart Murray, and they will be telling us all sorts of inside stories of what it was like to face off with each other on the campaign trail. I think that's a great undercard for the Let Broadback takedown. Okay, so we're, yeah, we're, uh, we're installing mats in the studio as we speak, just to, you know, take care. Uh, thank you very much uh, to everybody here and to those of you who've listened, and we will see you in a week's time for another episode of Not For Attribution.